0: Let's get off together. Well, it is January 17th and I would just like to say happy Monday to all my quitters. I read last week on LinkedIn a post uh, about Quitter's Day, hashtag Quitter's Day. And that was about the day that people decide to abandon their New Year's resolutions. And then I did my own Google search and found out Quitter's Day actually is coming up in a few days and hasn't happened yet. So you might still be hanging on. I'm not actually sure. I'm not actually sure what the definitive day of deciding that it was, that Quitter's Day is, if that sentence even made any sense. Um, But... According to LinkedIn and a couple of posts it was actually last Friday. So I want to talk to you guys about that because I'm telling you what I was not motivated at all to get in front of my microphone and start recording this. I have no notes written down. I I seriously have two notes here. One says January body and one says project miserable. (laughs) So you guys probably are like what the fuck does that even mean. So I'm going to I'm just going to kind of go into it. January body, January body. All right. So I wrote something on my, one of my Instagrams. I have an Instagram called Micro Steps Forward, which is basically, I'm just going to be honest. I made Micro Steps Forward because it's a words-based Instagram and it doesn't have profanity in it. So I get blocked in a lot of places because Get the Fuck Off has profanity in it. So I made Micro Steps Forward and that's just completely words and it's all little blurbs about moving your life forward in Micro Steps. And I wrote something this week about accepting your January body. And accepting the valleys the way that you do the peaks and the ebbs as you do the flows. Because we have trouble doing that. And we have trouble accepting those things. We have trouble accepting our January bodies. And I'm not necessarily talking about the way that our bodies physically look. You know, I read a a thing recently that said – Well, I read this every year, but it said summer bodies are made in winter and people just jumped on it like, this is diet culture talking, this is, and all of those things. And I thought to myself, you know, it's interesting. If you focus on the physical appearance of something, your physical aesthetic, you're involved in diet culture, that is what you will read into when you read that. But for me… I don't think about that that way at all. I think about my summer body is the the body that is hardcore marathon training, like doing, you know, 6, 7, 20-mile runs, running 15, 17, 18. I mean, last year, training for my two fall marathons, I started 15s, 17s, 18s in April for my first race in October. I mean, like, I'm doing one a week, like this was an aggressive amount of mileage, and I wouldn't be able to have that kind of mileage if I didn't start training in January and February. So the performance aspect for me is the most um, is the most important. But I think a lot of people will read about that and say, okay, you know, like this is actually just. Because of the way that we look. And that's our society. Like that's the way that we can, we can blame our society. But I, I made a note about January body. And I wanted to talk to you about January body. Because I wanted to tell you what's going on with your January body. And your January body is suffering in the cold. Like I am. And you might be trying to start something new now in January. When it comes to physical activity. And you might be thinking, God, this is really miserable. But the thing about the difference between you and me if you are just starting compared to me that's been doing it a while, is that you don't know the difference because it's been such a long time since you've been participating in this that you don't, you don't really know what it feels like otherwise. So if you're miserable you're probably just thinking a blanket statement of this is miserable. Whereas I've gotten to a level where I can be like this is miserable for now. And it's really, this is the worst time of the year to try to motivate yourself to do something if you have not been previously motivated because it's miserable and misery doesn't motivate anyone. And that's my second note, which I'm going to get to in a little bit. Um, I was going to use the example to try to describe this. As I told you guys last week in my podcast about intuitive eating, about the fact that runners are really good at knowing their bodies. And I, for example, with my body, I could tell how much oxygen is in the air. Like that's wild, but runners can often do this. This is why runners often will train at altitude to race at lower levels of elevation because the amount of oxygen is less. So if you're at altitude, I live at sea level. I live and run literally by the water in New York City and when I was in the desert, um, in Arizona at a you know a couple of thousand feet but then going up to Utah where i was at significantly more you know higher elevation i noticed not because i was having trouble breathing just sitting there but i noticed that when i would exercise it was much more difficult more laborious for me because there's just less oxygen in the air at those elevations and that's why when I was uh, studying to get certified as a running coach, which I, I am certified as a running coach. I don't know if you guys know that because I didn't want to really, I kind of stopped broadcasting that about halfway through the first season. But what they taught us was that if you were going to race at elevation, what you should do is you should either go the day before the race or you should go significantly, you know, way before the race. Like I'm talking 10 days. You know two to three weeks ideally like but what kind of people have three weeks time to just settle into a place before a race but if you're not used to running at elevation what you should do is you should go that far in advance or you should go the day before because if you go the day before your body's not going to have an opportunity to really understand or modify its effort and so your body's just you're going to be fine even though there's going to be less oxygen in the air your body isn't going to be kind of changing whereas if you go like three days your body's going to be like oh shit there's less oxygen here (laughs) you know and it's it's just not you're not going to perform as well so you go far in advance or you go the day before but we can tell like we can tell when there's less oxygen in the air And so when there's less oxygen in the air, I don't look at my watch and go, oh, fuck, I'm such a fucking slovenly fuck. Look how fucking slow I am. I just go, hmm, not used to this much oxygen being in the air, this little oxygen rather. So I'm going to give myself a little bit of grace that maybe my miles are going to be like, you know, 30 seconds slower per mile until I get used to the fact that there's less oxygen in the air. It's not a big deal. You know, that's just how it is we don't really like to do that though like we don't we don't know how to do that if we're not accustomed to the differences so when it comes to january and january running here i am i'm going out for my runs and in the summertime i'm fully aware that in the summer i'm going outside the sun is shining my skin is golden brown i am oversaturated with vitamin D everything is just beautiful and I just want to be outside for three four hours I want to run for an hour and a half I want to take a nice walk I want to stretch I want to sit by the water and meditate and just have this beautiful zen experience and everything's great and I think about those times and I now what's happening I'm bundled up like it like layers of clothing no sun is touching my skin it's freezing cold my muscles are tight I find the salt from the ground flying up and going into my mouth and I can taste it on my lips and there's like snow that didn't melt that's covered in shit and garbage because it's New York City and it's in the way and there's hardened ice on the ground and I'm stuck at a stoplight and my fingers are losing circulation and all of that shit's happening and this is the most miserable fucking time of the year and I know it so I can imagine how a person is going to beat themselves up because they just decided to start something new and realized, oh shit, this is the most fucking miserable time of the year. Even if you're not running outside, even if you're just going to the gym, you think that going to the gym, the act of getting into your fucking car and driving to the gym is an 18 times more miserable right the fuck now than it would be in April? Like, come on, man. Your January self is slow because everything is slow. Everyone is slow. Everything is moving at a slower speed right now because we are furthest away from the sun, our source of life, the life giver, that beautiful source of energy. We're the furthest away from it. Even if we stood outside naked for hours, we would not be receiving as much as we would in August. It would just be different. It was completely different. So we we don't give ourselves the grace You know, your January self, your January body, your body, we want to, it's not any different than it was a couple hundred years ago. We've just got some structures now, but we want to burrow and insulate. If you've gained a few pounds, it's because your body wants to hold a couple of extra pounds. I mean, I, you know, I don't really make a habit of weighing myself that much, but I got on the scale the other day and I weigh pretty much the same, like like two pounds heavier than I normally do. Um... But it's, it's not even that. It's just that I notice that I'm just more insulated. And it's also fucking cold. Like it's annoying. So I know enough to give myself some grace. A lot of people that are just starting things are really not motivated because of what's, you know, the the way that the, the world is right now. But that's just the way that it is every single winter. Even if you live in a warm climate, you know, it's, it's what you're used to. So you could live in the desert and – you're going to think that it's freezing. I know when I was in Arizona, and this is like yeah, December in Arizona, I just came from New York City, so I was walking around in shorts and a tank top, and you've got people in jackets because they've acclimatized to the Arizona weather. So even for them, it's cold. So even if you live in a warm climate, you're still going to be cold. You're still going to be moving slower than if you – if it was any other time of the year. So you got to give yourself some grace about that. Like that's just what you got to do. You can't just be expecting that you're going to move mountains during the first month of the year. Nobody fucking does that. It's not enough of a motivator. So I, I'm just laying it out there. My second note was Project Miserable. Tell you a story. All right. So here's a story. Last year I was coaching somebody um, actually in running and they were finding it very hard to motivate themselves because they didn't like the geography of where they were living. They had moved and they didn't like the geography. So they said that it made them miserable. So I was like, well, I'll tell you what, what I'm going to do. And by the way, this strategy is not effective. Everything is a learning experience. Um, everything's a learning experience for me. This was early. Um, so I'm like, well, here's what I'm going to do. Um, you can motivate yourself to get out there, you know, and get over the miserable hump. I will engage with you and I will do what makes me miserable, which is running the Williamsburg Bridge. And I will do repeats of the Williamsburg Bridge every day that you decide to go out and do these runs. And I said, let's just call it Project Miserable. Well, I thought that that was going to be really motivational. You know, solidarity and all that shit. But that was actually not motivational at all. It was completely not effective. It had a the opposite effect of what I wanted. It just made everything go to hell. And I realized in that, and I I know this from behavior change. I know this from transformational coaching and mindset coaching, but I didn't really realize this with coaching athletics is that when you're coaching a non-athlete and somebody that's just becoming an athlete, if you want to motivate that person with misery, that doesn't work, It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then I realized it doesn't work in any sense of the regard. Like I definitely do things that make me unhappy when it comes to athletics in the short term. But I don't find the act itself miserable. In fact, all of the motivation that I have as an athlete comes from that place inside of me that has enormous pride for my athletic ability. So every single time I force myself into the cold, which is miserable, I think of the human being that PRs time after time after time after time and consistently improves and is strong and is able. And that is what gets me through most of the time. Like the first time you ever cross a finish line at a race, you are going to be overcome with emotion. I mean, it's just going to bubble up inside of you and you're, and you're going to feel it. And I remember crossing my first, the finish line of my first 13.1 and just sobbing um, at the finish line. Just sobbing my face off because of the level of love that I had for myself. This is the advantage that I have in In this particular field that I work in. I can't force anybody to be an athlete. Nor would I expect anybody to be an athlete. But there is a place inside of you that is fierce as fuck. That is just limitless potential. And athletes have access to that place. Just by doing what they do. Like just, just by doing it. As an athlete you have access to that part inside of you because when you're running distance for example you have to reach into that part inside of you to get the rest of the way because you don't your mind is going to give up so much faster than your body will like your mind is going to try to convince you that it's not possible and you have to overpower your mind because your body can keep going but your mind is going to want to tell you to stop so it's a fight. Against the mind. And that's the work that I I do. Um, Not with athletics. Like my clients are not athletes. My clients are just you know people. Some of them likes to exercise. But they're not athletes. I don't coach athletes. I coach people. And I mean I'm not opposed to coaching athletes. But that's just not. That's not the primary um, kind of descriptor of people that I work with. I teach people how to go beyond their thinking minds and reach into that place of power. January, for whatever your good intentions were, I understand that this is a time of misery. A better life is not a miserable experience. A better life is an empowering experience. We sit here in our limiting beliefs and we think that we're not capable of having the things that we want to have. The limiting beliefs are the things that are running the show because most of your subconscious is always running the show. We always think that we're consciously doing it. But if you're driving your car down the highway, you know immediately when you're approaching another car if you're going to pass that car or not. You don't have to sit and analyze it and think about and calculate the distance and get out of whatever tool. You just know. You just, you don't need a computer. You just know I'm going faster than that guy and you just pass them. And this is what it is with our subconscious mind. Our subconscious has our limiting beliefs and those limiting beliefs are the things that cause you to act. So let's say that you have limiting beliefs around money. You're going to act in a panicked state when you run low on money. And then instead of going with your intuition, you might go with your survival emotions and just try to be rational and logical and hammer down and close up and make decisions in, in ways that don't serve you because your limiting beliefs tell you that that's not abundant. Your limiting beliefs have you scared shitless. Your old programming has you running in circles. You're not even thinking. You're just afraid. And it has nothing to do with the fact that th- that money isn't abundant or that it is abundant or any of that. It's the fact that you're just programmed a certain way. Same thing about health. You might have limiting beliefs around whether or not you can be healthy and what will happen is you'll be on the, the right track and then all of a sudden you'll start having conflicts inside yourself about what being a healthy person means. You might start losing weight and people will compliment you on your weight loss. And then you'll start telling stories like, well, I that, well, that didn't look good before or this is exactly what's wrong with society or all these things. And you're sabotaging yourself out of being able to have the what you want, which is to feel better. I've been overweight, guys. Like, I've been I've been overweight. It doesn't feel good. Like, it just doesn't. I mean, I, I get it. I get all of the things that are attached, but it just doesn't fucking feel good, and that's it. It just doesn't feel good. It feels better to not be. It really does, and everybody wants that. I And you know what? It's like, I, I mean, I'm sure that there are people that honestly don't, like, I, I'm talking in sweeping generalizations here, and if this alienates a person or two than it does but people want that they want to feel better I'm not saying they want to be supermodels I'm not saying they want to be hot in all kinds of ways or whatever the fuck but they want to feel better everybody wants to feel better so if you have a limiting belief around the fact that you can't be a weight that is not considered obese And you start to get to this point where you're not obese anymore. And people start to compliment you and say things. You might start self-sabotaging because of that shit. And the thing is, you're not the one doing it. It's your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind is doing it and self-sabotaging it the whole way. Same thing with business. Same thing with love. You know, I talked about this recently a couple of times about love. If you don't believe that you're inherently worthy of love, you will self-sabotage love when it comes to you. Because you'll start acting different. You know, you're going to – how many times does that happen? you get into a – have you ever gotten into a relationship with a person? And it's great. And everything's wonderful. And then they start acting like just totally different than the person that you you started seeing. Like they start getting clingy. They start like attaching. They start acting different. They start acting the way that they think you want them to act. And it's not them. And how many times have you done that? Where you fall in love, you meet somebody, and then you start acting the way that you think. They want you to act. And then everything goes to hell. I mean, it doesn't always go to hell in a week. Sometimes it takes a couple of years. But things go to hell. I mean, things went to hell with me and my ex. We were fine. But were we really fine? Or were we just putting on, you know, were we just the stranger? You know, like, or not the stranger. You know the song, Billy Joel, The Stranger? You know, well, we all have a face that we hide away forever. And we take them out and show ourselves when everyone is gone. You got to know that song. I think I was, um, there is... Georg Simmel does, I believe it's Georg Simmel, The Stranger on Sociology. And I remember when I was studying sociology, I was thinking to my, I I said in class, did anybody, uh, did anybody think of Billy Joel when when they read this? And nobody did. This is what happens when you're, (laughs) you attend certain institutions that might be a little bit stuffier than other institutions. (laughs) Anyway, The Stranger you become the stranger because for the first part of the relationship you had been whoever you thought they wanted you to be and then it was too much and then now you're the stranger and it's like who the fuck, who the fuck are you like this happens with people that's limiting beliefs around love I mean limiting beliefs around love say that love is scarce. You got to you got to cling to love. So you're you got to cling to it. You got to put on a face, you got to give them your best face. It they got to be into you at all costs, whatever you got to do to keep the love around because you're never going to get it again if you let it go. That's limiting beliefs around love. We have these limiting beliefs and they are running the show. Now, this is another thing that I wrote on LinkedIn. The thing is we don't really get to see – I didn't write this part on LinkedIn. I'm, this is the part I'm telling you guys. We don't really get to see what our limiting beliefs are. This is the weird thing. This is why coaches exist. This is why I exist and how I wasn't able to see my shit without a coach and I wasn't able to see my shit without courses that I've taken in personal development and I wasn't able to see my shit without conversations. I was not able to see my own shit. The only exception is The fire. So I was talking to a friend of mine this last week about how I hate putting out New Year's content because it seems kind of futile because I know that January 1st isn't a big enough catalyst for people to make change but I have to put out the content because the truth is everybody that's listening to this right now is going to make a change sometime very soon. It might be in a week. It might be in a month. It might be in three months. It might be next year. But when you're ready for it, I want you to remember this podcast and every single other one that you've listened to. Either mine or anybody else's because that way when you get to the point that you are ready, you're going to know where to go. And that's why I show up and put out this content now when everybody's talking about it because of these reasons. But the truth is when you want to make change in your life, most people require a fire. I required a fire. I did. The fire was my ex-boyfriend left me at the airport in the middle of the night without a flight home. It was almost exactly four years ago. And it was middle of January. It was freezing cold because, you know, we're, we're at our best in January as I had talked about in the uh, beginning of this podcast. And I was trying at the time. Like I was trying, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It was cold. It was miserable. It was not a great time. I was drunk out of my mind. I mean, I can't even say that this experience I've said before was all his fault because I truly don't know. I mean, the, the truth is somewhere between two stories or three stories or whatever the hell. But it was not a good experience and it was just enough. To just clean off just enough of the mirror that I could see myself and go, oh shit, I have to make a change. And most people require the fire. I mean, I, I said, I I said to my friend, I said, you know, when do people, when do people stop drinking? When they end up in jail? When do people decide to, you know, change, fix their marriage? When their wife threatens divorce? When do people lose a bunch of weight? After the divorce. I mean, this is the way that it usually goes. There has to be something that lights the fire. You go to the doctor and they say you you have a massive heart attack. I mean something has to light the fire. But the thing is it doesn't have to be a big fire. See this is the thing. Some people require a big fire. Like they require getting fired from their job before they get a new job. Right. But some people just need to be yelled at by an insolent superior enough times that they decide that they're going to get a new job another job the fire the the size of the fire really just depends on the person you know like I stopped drinking after the experience on Christmas with my family and that was not a huge fire that wasn't a huge fire but it was enough of a fire that it made me do it and had I not had the airport experience I probably would have I never would have got there but it was enough of a fire it wasn't a huge fire didn't burn down the whole building it just burned out a little corner and that was enough and the thing is I don't know if you believe in the universe or not. If you don't believe in the universe, you could just believe in science. But your body, the universe, your body, whatever, um, whatever you believe, the universe is always feeding you data that is saying, okay, it's time to change. It's time to change. If you don't believe the universe is doing it, then your body is feeding you data. Your body might be giving you acid reflux all the time. You know, like something like that. But there is always data coming in. Whether it be from outside, whether it be from inside, whether it be higher self, whether it be a deity, whether it be people in your life, people in your life might be leaving, your relationships might be ending, all of a sudden your friends aren't answering any of your texts anymore because you're drunk and sending them at 8am and they're always about some bizarre fucking nonsense. This is about a specific person. Yes. Um, that that might be happening to you and you might not be seeing the signs, not be seeing the signs that's why some people require a big blaze. But you could also just start exercising awareness to the signs. So if you're having like pain in your back. I had a friend who was just having back pain. The back pain just wouldn't go away. He was wearing a back brace. I mean like these are little things. There's always data coming in that's telling you. And any one of these can be a catalyst for change. For you. Any single one of these can be a catalyst. Anyone. And you can run with it. You could totally run with it. And whenever you're ready, and I'll tell you what, that January 1st is not a big enough catalyst for any of that. It's just not. Like, well, oh, I want to make change. And what's your reason why? Oh, it's January 1st. Okay. Yeah. That that, that worked for so many people. <laughs> like, that never works. That's not a big enough catalyst. That's not a big enough Why? How about I have constant acid reflux, it never goes away. Did you, did you guys know that was, that's not normal? Like it's not normal to have constant acid reflux. Like do you, do you, you know that, right? Like this is the, this is an example of just a little thing that could be feeding you data that says it's time for change. And when you guys are ready to make the change, I am, I am here for it. January is a really shitty time to try to do it, guys. I mean, if you want to do it this month, great. Good for y'all. I'm here to support you. But if you decide that you don't want to do something that's not self-serving, that is completely unrealistic, that you came up with just a couple of days before the first of the year, like some dumb, you know, challenge or whatever, I support you in that too. I will tell you what. I jumped on a challenge bandwagon on the first of the year this year. My really good friend was doing this challenge called My Sacred First Hour. And it was a really good idea in theory. So the th- so the idea was is that everybody that was doing it would not let any communication into their, their world for the first hour that they're awake and instead would do some sort of self-serving practice such as meditation or journaling, read a book, take a walk, exercise, all this stuff. I thought that it was a really great idea. Um, but mi- for me it was just miserable because first of all, I have a very solid morning routine that leads me into my morning run. And my morning run pulls me forward for the whole day. So when I was doing this practice, so I I have a practice that when I go running, I like to be finished with everything. So I get up and if there's something I have to answer, an email, a text, one of my many Instagram DMs, um, I, I will go and do that. And I will get all of that done so that when I go running, that is my sacred time. Most of the time, there is nothing in my ears during my runs. I don't usually listen to anything. If I'm doing a long run, I may listen to an audiobook. But most of the time, it's complete silence, me talking to myself, looking like an idiot. Um, And I never, never music, never anything like that. So that is a sacred time for me but I like to be completely empty when I go into that time. So yes this was very very valuable uh, my friend's sacred first hour challenge. I thought that it was awesome and I enjoyed doing my meditation and my journaling in the morning and it, it held me accountable to do the meditation and to do the journaling and meditation is so important for where I am right now in my life. But then what ended up happening was then I had to go through my whole process of thought dumping, email responding, all of this stuff that I normally do because I couldn't go running if that had been undone because of the way that I am accustomed to being for my run. And my run is the most critical part. Like I can't, I can skip anything. I don't want to skip the run, right? So. It wasn't serving me necessarily because then I was running too late and then I have meetings so if it went way too late then I couldn't go running because I had the meetings and I don't run after I've had meetings because I don't run after I eat, like all this shit. And I already have something set up that serves me. And this thing that I started on the first of the year did not serve me. Also, I am back in New York for the first time since November and I haven't had my morning routine in a month, a month and a half you know something like that so for me to come back to New York and have everything be different including the work that I'm doing including having my car including my car being vandalized including you know all of this stuff for everything to be different and to not have that morning routine was just a complete mess because then I had no semblance of normalcy other than the 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 place that I reside everything had been turned topsy-turvy So I made a decision this doesn't serve me and it was really good in theory that for the first month of the year I was going to do this and I was going to do it diligently and I was going to do it daily but it didn't serve me. And what about you guys like if you picked something. If it's not serving you and you're noticing, then are you hanging on to it begrudgingly just because you said you were going to do it? And then that's another thing is that if you hang on to something begrudgingly, then once that time period that you've allotted for yourself to do it is over, you are not going to go back to it. So you might decide to go through with a process that you don't particularly care for because you said you were going to do it and then you'll end up viewing yourself choosing to view yourself because you're not actually this way but you might end up choosing to view yourself as some whopping failure because you didn't complete the 30 days or the 90 days or whatever the hell you you said and so you'll think well I've already failed at that one so I'm not going to do that again because our society has told us that failure is bad when in reality failure is just part of life and everyone does it way more than they succeed like I'm putting out this episode like I have I have no notes except for those two that I mentioned to you this is just me I, I, is this is this gonna be a, like a major hit is this episode going to catch people's attention all over the globe am I gonna become a fucking TEDx speaker no I'm just chopping wood and carrying water showing up You know, it's going to be like every other thing that I do. And that's the way that I approach life. And I didn't always. I I put so much attachment on every action that every action had to be a big, massive success. And now I realize that every action in life, and I've realized this a long time. That's why I started doing this work. Every action in life is just like running. It's just one foot in front of the other, methodically thumping along. And if you do that long enough… And if you do that more days than you don't, then things will happen for you. And they always happen very quickly through a series of long days. So that is what I've got. I'm tapped out. No more. uh, There's nothing else rattling around in my mind for the podcast this week. If you guys uh, have anything that you want to talk about, email me. andy Andee at getthefuckoff.com. I've been… I've been sending emails to my subscribers this week and I did have somebody reach out to me and say that she didn't want to book time without introducing herself and I was like that's fine. Like you guys reach out introduce yourselves. I'm not awkward. I promise. Like I love to talk to new people. So if you've been wanting to meet with me for a while and you've been putting it off because you think I'm going to think you're weird for just booking time on my calendar. Please don't think that. I go into my calendar every week and I block off the time that I'm not available and all the rest of the time is for you. So please, if you've been wanting to do it, just go ahead and do it. GetTheFuckOff.com is where you can find um, a place to schedule some time with me. You can just go to my website, GetTheFuckOff.com. Email me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at GetTheFuckOff.com. But seriously, just go to GetTheFuckOff.com. You can book some time and uh, we'll get together. We'll get on Zoom. We'll talk. I was a bartender. How awkward could it be, right? All right. I will see you guys next Monday. Thank you for being here. I love you guys. You guys are great. Uh, so take care and be safe. And uh, yeah, next week. I'll see you next time. Take care.